0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sharon Stevens. My guest is a recent graduate of the University of Missouri, St. Louis. 37-year-old Harold Crawford completed his undergraduate degree in social work, but the road getting to the degree wasn't an easy one. Crawford lived through tough times to make ends meet and left the life of crime and gang involvement about a decade ago. Now the graduate is focusing on how to move forward and use his degree to help address community violence and protect youth in the community. We began by talking about what his degree means to him. You've had uh, quite a month so far. Congratulations on your graduation. How significant was that day to
1: you? The uh, ceremony was extremely significant. I. Um... I'm gonna say this, I did not attend the ceremony for certain certain reasons, but the overall just graduating, it was like a, a weight off my shoulders. Why? Because while I was in school, I had to study what people wanted me to study. You know, I had to read books that people wanted me to read and it was required for my education, but I've always been a big reader and kind of a free spirit and now that I'm not in school right now I can take breaks and just read what it is I want to read and I can enjoy my own reading, you know? Right. But um it was it was very important for me to be able to graduate because it just symbolized me finishing something.
0: Okay. And you studied social work, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um what what sparked
1: your interest in that? My mother, the Honorable Angela Harlena Roffle, uh and my father, the Honorable Harold B. Crawford Sr., but my mother especially, she is a career social worker. She was the uh, Director of Human Services for the Forest Park Community College for a long time. And um, I am not originally from St. Louis, I'm from Jeff City, but when we first moved here, I'm just gonna, we were really poor, you know, and um, she was still trying to finish school, which she did, raising at one point in time six kids, you know, seven kids living in a two-bedroom in, uh, in Columbus Square on 7th Street, and she was going to Forest Park. She started off at Forest Park, and then she, she um, ended up at SLU, and she graduated, but I saw her. We were, like, dirt poor, but she would still wake me up to go to, like, Churches and, and pantries to do community service and I would still see her sh- doing stuff for other people there were times like Mentors in school that I would tell that you know me and my mom go and do this I actually had a principal tell me well that you only a fool would do that because you can't even help yourself So how are you going to help some other people
0: how'd that make you feel?
1: I didn't know what to say that man didn't have a job after about ten years, but you know um for something for doing something he, he he was touching touching and feeling so that that right there just i i think was an example of him not knowing his boundaries and not knowing what to say but how it made me feel um i didn't know i kind of like it took me aback it, it made me surprised but i've never lost that giving, the sense to give, to help people. I'll be a social justice, they can can say social justice warrior all they want to, I'll be that till the day that I die because it's so fulfilling. And seeing my mom go through that and then like, seeing all the people and all the students that she's inspired throughout her life. And then she's actually like, they got a story about her in a social work book, Mm -hmm. you know. um, It just, um, she's the, the, the main motivator. I just feel like I'm carrying the torch for our family. You know, so mm-hmm. now we start. I started an LLC, Marcuccio Moriati. What is that? Marcuccio Moriati. It's my LLC. Marcuccio was Romeo's best friend, and Moriati was Sherlock Holmes' worst enemy. And when I first started, it was kind of like I was a different person when I first started. it. What is it? Uh, it's an LLC. It's a um, it's an education LLC. It's focused on entertainment and education, using media for more positive entertainment, more productive entertainment. And um, it really was supposed to push people to read. Uh, The entertainment that came out was supposed to put emphasis on education that a lot of people may not know about, but it was still a hip-hop influence you know, and um, she was starting her LLC again, and I said, you know, well, Mom, and entrepreneurs, please listen to this. If you got somebody in your family that already has the talent and the technique to do something that you're starting, let them in. And since she already had the experience, I said, Mom, I'll go ahead and, and take this LLC and start over, and we can just start like a family agency as far as social work goes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's in the making.
0: When, when you were uh, growing up, um, you might have needed the help of a social worker yourself, given some of the Trauma that you you went through am
1: I the, correct? The gang bang, the bounty hunter, yeah, the bounty hunter um, gangs and stuff that.
0: Were you in that gang?
1: I was in. See, let let's, let me clarify this. When I was a I was a blood true. Uh, I was I was already a graduate of high school. Now I had been in a gang before that, but it wasn't like per se Crip and Blood. It was like a group of it was like Crips and Bloods and gangster disciples that was like. We called ourselves Missouri's Players and Gangsters (MPG), and even though it started like on Arco, and we were some most of us went to at least one fourth of us went to Marquette. There would also be people from different schools, different ages. That was like a gang, but something happened, and I didn't have that support system. And at that time, I was hanging, and when I was when that group broke up, I was um I was hustling, and I was going through hard times. Doing what?
0: Hustling what? I was
1: I was was selling drugs. (laughs) Okay. I was selling drugs. So, I needed a squad, and at that point in time, it was the Bloods I was hanging with. So, that's that's what put me in there. I I had to have some type of crew. So, it was for money, you know. Um I had always been a, a, attracted to wearing red. So, it just it just suited me, you know. And um that combined with alcoholism, that comorbidity just did not work. Those clusters just was was terrible. And um, another drama, another trauma that I think that you probably could be hinting at is um, I lived in Oklahoma City for a while, and I lived there during the bomb when the Timothy McVeigh bomb blew up and it shook my school. I went to a middle school uh, that was in close to an area called North Highlands, and that was a blood territory. And keep in mind, I wasn't gang-banging then, but I was around nothing but gang-bangers. So... That's a cluster all in itself. You know, when that bomb went off, it shook the school. It shook my body. You know, then I remember one of the officers coming in the cafeteria telling us that the federal building had blew up. And now the education that I received in the last semester, because although my major was social work, my minor is um, psychology with an emphasis on trauma. Well, I had a trauma class, and I was uh, working on a certificate for um, child advocacy. And I learned, basically, there were times I studied for that class and I would cry because we would talk about domestic violence, and I had witnessed to that, you know. I mean, I know what it's like to um, be in a household, and whenever Uncle So-and-So comes home, the kids are scared because they're wondering if he's going to beat your auntie. They're wondering if he's going to beat up who, you know, he's going to beat somebody up. Mm -hmm. So that, along with the bombing and the gangbanging, just added clusters of trauma. You know, and then did this lead to a diagnosis? Uh, I haven't seen any doctors for it, but intellectual uh, hi, uh, uh, intelligent hypotheses. I know i I know I was kind of traumatized from the bomb, and I learned um, certain things would make me tick, like um, certain scenarios, certain events. I would be really vigilant, hyper hyper vigilant. Like I always gotta watch my back. Like always watching the door. Uh, and then you it's like what's that word polyvictimization you Mm -hmm. still find yourself in certain situations that just trigger those effects and they add insult to your injury how early
0: was your gang involvement How, how old were you
1: um Well, let's see here. I had an older brother. I have an older brother that's Crippin', that's been Crippin' forever. What does that mean? Uh, Community Resource and Progress. That's the original meaning for Crip, because Community United Standing Strong. Are you saying he's still a Crip? Yeah, he's still doing his thing. But you're not? No, I'm not not gang-banging at all anymore. I, I had to leave that alone. After November 7th of 2018, I was a keynote speaker for AIM High. And after standing in front of those kids and and talking to them, I couldn't I just couldn't keep doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and
0: how, I'm sorry, how old were you when you when you first when, started with gangs?
1: When I first when I was like officially with Bloods, I'd say about 19. But as far as like being affiliated with just knowing gang mentality, psh, I don't think. Let's see here. Has early as six or seven.
0: Uh-huh. Do you think that that's about the the age that most people who are involved in, in gangs get started that as early as six or seven?
1: It depends because for some families, like in California, it can be generational. And um, in states like Oklahoma, certain states that are close to California, I'm 37. So I grew up around the time where they were really, when it was really, I want to say, uh, prevalent. It was more prevalent. I mean, now it's just different, and I want to say because of the internet, and I even have networked on the internet, you know, but now people are, like, joining the gangs on the internet, and they're internet banging, and I'm not trying to, like, say that they're not real or, well, that's not real. I'm not trying to down downplay it, but, you know, it's just not the same intensity, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say that somebody, that everybody at six or seven is who gets introduced to that, but... As far as, like, it depends on family. Like, if you have a mother and a father that were gangbangers, and they had you when they were, like, 15, 16, and, you know, they've both been doing their thing, then as you grow up, that's going to be the example that you see. That's going to seem normal to you.
0: Tell me something. It, it, it took a while. You said you're 37. Mm-hmm. It took a while for you to get to where you are today, uh, a, a college graduate. You have a, a business. Uh, what are some of the coping skills that
1: you used to keep you going um writing was definitely that reading was one thing but writing helped me um change the narrative it helped me learn to articulate and i could i would read dictionaries or i would go and seriously i would go and hang out at the library uh read and i would just keep a journal and i would just write you know Uh, i remember when i first I was uh, I had a crush on this girl in high school. I'm not gonna say her name, but I had a crush on this girl in <laughs> high school, and I was using um, adjectives to describe to describe her, and that's when I started getting into like using words to describe things about like my junior or senior year, and then after that I just um, started reading books about root words, so I would write to articulate how I felt, you see, and then the other thing that I would do, of course, was exercise. And I'll, I have a black belt. I got it from St. Louis Family Martial Arts Academy. Uh, when I left the city, about early 20, 2021, 22, because it was just too much stuff going on. You know, it was uh, at that point it was murder capital. We were like really bad gun violence, and like I'm gonna say, two of my big homies, two people that I really, really looked up to, um, may they rest in peace. They had uh, got got killed, mm-hmm. and I had just I I was in too much trouble
0: well you are um you had to go through some programs to get yourself yes, back on track tell us about that
1: well i got a i am a recovering alcoholic my fifth year of being sober from alcohol was may 17th. congratulations and that was probably the biggest the biggest downfall like i could have been way more successful in life had i uh, not drank cuz i was a drinker and I'd say I was about 30, 29, or 30, maybe 30, 31, I got my second DWI. And um, my license got suspended. So I had to take a suspended sentence class. and It's on South Grand. The, the place was located on South Grand. And the counselors that were there, I liked what they were doing. So I asked them, you know, what are you doing? And they, they told us, well, you we're counselors. And when I talked to my mom about what they were doing, she said at Forest Park has a degree. It's a, it's not, it's a certification in addiction studies. So I have that. I'm an addiction studies. I can I can help mentor people who are trying to recover. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got that, and that while I was in that program, I couldn't drink. So I quit drinking. And I liked how I was feeling. Although I was for the first Four months, I was falling asleep all over the place. I would wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and then be ready to go to bed by 7 or 8 o'clock. And um, it was so bad that there was one time I thought I had a a cavity because my mouth was like, man, my gums were hurting so bad. And I actually went to the doctor, and the doctor said, son, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have really sensitive teeth use mm-hmm. different toothpaste and my point is is that I was so used to waking up hungover, going to work early in the morning just brushing my teeth real hard because I'd be drunk I didn't even know that I had how sensitive my teeth were because the alcohol would damage your nerves mm-hmm. you know so the recovery aspect and getting more in tune with my, my body physically and mentally and then um, going through those processes let me know how far I how much I had damaged myself with that poison so that was another process I had to go through as well
0: You You've got quite a story, not not just a story, stories to tell, uh, and I know that you share them uh, with others, and you've talked about um, dealing with um, mental health trauma. uh, Yes, ma'am. And tell me how you go about that, and and why do you do that?
1: Because everybody needs to protect children, encourage everybody to protect children. Um, I am very passionate about that and that's something in the black community I think we like to talk about is mental health and physical abuse. Um and one thing Dr. Joyce DeGru wrote the book of uh, post-traumatic syndrome and we really need to look at the genetics of, of uh, how trauma can get passed other than just the 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 clusters of trauma because they don't screen for trauma. You know and I don't know the exact statistics about, like, how much African-Americans visit doctors off, off, offhand, but I know we don't like to go to hospitals. And with good reason, looking at the history, we don't like to go to hospitals. Um, but we need to do something about how healthcare. We need to do something about the trauma in, the, in African-American communities and research it more because diseases are going like cancer, diabetes, diseases pass Pass on genetically, and nobody's getting screened because people probably can't afford to to to, to, to make it to the hospital. They got to go to work, so we need to really dig deeper into that and find and get more clinical help for. I'm going to say my people, our people. Period. You know they need it, and it's usually people of color and disenfranchised people who mm-hmm. need this help.
0: Well, now you you're newly degreed, and um, uh, you're going uh, out in the world in a. In a Uh, into the world in a different sort of way. You have something else with you this time. Um, So how are you going to use everything that you have that you brought with you, plus your degree, to make a difference?
1: Social justice. Well, uh, Chris Savage, Big Rio exclusive, Cutthroat Entertainment. Uh, That's a label, music label I, I, I deal with. They were very, very, although we're all from different walks of life, they were very, very supportive of me being in school. Very supportive of me being in school. And uh, Big Rio, also Sergeant in Arms, Rising Sons Rising MC Motorcycle Club. Uh, we want to give back to the community, especially with uh, Brother Nipsey, Nipsey Hussle, May He Rest In Good dean. That motivated us to like, the music that we were gonna bring out or have, Cause I have an EP called Madrigal Projects that should be coming out in July, which is just social justice uh type type issues, but hip hop influence. We want to bring out music to we it's time to come out of flashing the bottle, showing the money. It's time to start having some validity in the music. There's nothing wrong with making hip hop. There's nothing wrong with making the good music. It's just that the influence that we have can be more related to something positive. And so the music that I want to start bringing out, the videos that I want to show you is the uh, uh, the reality of the hood, a reality from disenfranchisement, but more empowering from a social justice perspective.
0: Okay. Uh, how has your faith helped you?
1: Oh, man. Alhamdulillah. It's Ramadan right now, so I'm feeling really, really good. Um, I took Shahada December 15th. You, you have so, to explain that to shahada is when you bear witness that there is only one god allah mm-hmm. and you believe in the angels and the prophets and the words and december t- uh, 15 2018 i took a shahada i'll tell you what i want to kind of get into this story um that particular day i was on my way to my dojo and i missed the bus the dojo is where martial artists train i missed the bus and i got so mad that i walked from Manchester Maplewood to South Down, cause I was gonna find me a mosque to have Juma in. Juma is our holy day. Juma is Friday, it's our holy day. Every every able-bodied male should be at this mosque, on be at your mosque on Friday. We honor Adam on that day. And um, I found that mosque that Saturday and uh, the first prayer I've ever done in the mosque was the Zuhr prayer, the noon prayer. And um, my life has been, it's been, I tell you what, there was even the Christmas Eve, it was Christmas Eve, I did the Israq prayer and after that something just told me get up, go the opposite way where you usually go. There's a daily routine I usually go after that prayer. And um, I was like by St. Vincent Park on Natural Bridge and it was Christmas Eve, keep in mind, I found this lady's purse who had got stolen, you know, and that right there just let me know stay in tune and stay on the right path and he'll guide me and show me where I need to be. So just like I said in my story, did you get her her purse back? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. She got all her stuff back, and she had just lost it. Actually, somebody had broken into her car, and as I was walking, I was uh, something told me to look right. And as I was walking, I was finding pieces like her ID, her EBT card. It was like laid around like somebody had just grabbed her stuff and just threw it everywhere. But um, the the post office on Natural Bridge that's right by like a BP. I was was giving the people at the post office all her stuff. And then as I walked out, a police officer rolled up, and then, you know, it got, it was official then. He told me that, you know, this lady had made a phone call that her car had got broken into. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, 14 minutes later, it got found.
0: Well, now tell me, if uh, we're looking at you, oh, a year, maybe two years from now, tell us... um, what you're going to be doing, what you're going to be like, just tie all of your experiences together, in terms of the impact that uh, they've had on your life. You you've not had a. It's a very untraditional.
1: Yes, um, man, it is. Life. Oh, uh, um, so can I say what I like to? What I where where I think I'll be in a year or two? Sure. I'm still going to be encouraging everybody to protect every children, every child. I'm still gonna encourage everybody to protect our women, especially in this day and age, because we got people out here that just think they can tell our women what to do with themselves. And I mean, not think protect women, period. Protect women because if you're protecting children, you got to be protecting women. That's just I know I'm opinionated, but that's just how it goes right now with. That Is that issue.
0: good for a social worker?
1: Yes. Yes, you you have to I'm going I'm just going to say it. You can't tell a person what to do with their body. You just can't. Tupac said it the best. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. We just going to have to take that like some men and then um I'm going to do that. Hopefully I make my Hajj, my pilgrimage. Hopefully um Inshallah, some some I got an album or something that's out there besides my EP. Um, I can visit the motherland with my mama because she's already been to Africa a couple of times. We can go see the Maasai tribe that we come from. Um, I can be more connected with my family. I hopefully um, we can rebuild some of these schools out here in this city, and um, I can just I can I can make my my creator happy. Hey. Do you plan to go back to school? Yes, that's what. Yes, yes, <laughs> I uh yes, I want to go back to school, grad school, and I want I actually want a doctorate. She uh-huh. said in what? Uh, social work. In okay. social work. Social work and media.
0: How how did, how did uh the University of Missouri St. Louis help you? Do you give them some credit for helping you along
1: the way? Let me put it like or, this. Like um my interim dean said, "Sharon, Dr. Sharon said that this is like medicine that you don't want to take, but you need to take it. And I was cussing and fussing the whole way through, but it could have been another institution that I was cussing and fussing all the way through too. So it was like, you got this institution that you learn from, and you got this institution that you can learn from, which one you want to go to. So I was very blessed, very, very, very blessed. To uh, UMSL helped me a lot because the diversity that was there, um, the obstacles that were there, it um, it was a journey. It was tough. I couldn't give up. There were times, yeah, the tough ex-gang banger was crying having to write papers, these self-reflection papers, you know, the statistics classes that I had to take. There were so many good teachers, though, that I had. Um, and it was it was a wonderful experience. That's what I'll say.
0: Well, we are going to thank you very much. Thank you for thank being you. here with us. Um, good luck to you. Just wh- wh- finally, do, do you ever have any thoughts of getting back with the gang?
1: Not at all. I serve one master. That's it. I can't do it. No, that's no more. none of that. No more. That's done. Now, I'll always. I'll never turn my back on my brothers. Whether I'll never turn my back, I'm always here for him. I'll even, I'll even go back there. I'll even buy an apartment and be there. But as far as me putting on a red bandana, saying "What's up, blood?" or "Soo whoop?" anymore, that's just a, a part of me that doesn't exist anymore. He's gone. He's gone.
0: That was recent University of Missouri-St. Louis graduate Harold Crawford. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.